This week's guest is a return guest. Uh, he actually is the one who this whole podcast is named after. But this week, Joe and I get real with each other and we talk about what's been going on in our life the last few months, especially about legacy. Listen in. No gray areas. Well, Joe, welcome back to the No Gray Areas podcast. It's really named after the book that you wrote and your story, and um, it's about the complexity of choices and the power of choices. But recently, you and I were on a trip, and um, we started talking about how just things uh, changing the game a little bit and gambling and how that's affected. And recently, you and I were also speaking at an event, right? We were speaking um, with Stevan Headache-Smith, who was part of this thing back in 94, the biggest sports scandal that they know of. And I, it was fascinating when you and I were sitting down at a restaurant and the two, I was just listening in, and the two of you were talking about your perspective on how gambling, especially legalized gambling, is changing the sport. So speak into that a little bit. Yeah, the 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 athlete and the gambler conversation, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a good way to, to segue into a story. But I think before I get into that, I wanted to say something real quick. Yeah. Um, I know the podcast is is named after you know my book and and my my silly my silly journey so to speak but um you're the you're the face of the podcast pad and for some odd reason even using your face on the podcast the channels still keep growing significantly <laughs> yes. it's because i hide so, behind the microphone that's right but really wanted to say thank you to mm-hmm. you wanted to say thank you to the team behind the scenes riley does an amazing job with all the video footage peyton does an amazing yeah, job with um all the social media channels and really feel like we're getting a message out there that's yeah. effectuating change so just yeah. wanted to no thank I, you Joe. give a quick little thank yeah. you for that I agree. And I love that it's, it, it, it really springboarded off of your story and you wanting to make a difference and tell a story that, that you and this other guy all those years ago, almost 25 years ago now, yeah. that you made a decision that's affecting your life for the rest of your life, but helping people understand that the choices yeah. we make follow us. But also the choices we make aren't the end of the story, um, right? Yeah. It, it, and that's what really you know, was a springboard to writing the book. It was all about life choices and the consequences of life choices and, you know, what we've done since then with the the book, with the documentary on Netflix, uh, with the movie in the works right now and the different speaking events that you and I and, and Headache have been able to do. It really feels like there's a purpose behind the yeah. crazy journey that I've gone through personally. So, yeah. you know, to circle back as to what you said about our last speaking event out there in, in Nevada, we spoke to you know, several hundred firemen yeah. of, of, yeah. of leadership. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, on the drive up there, it was you and I and Stevan. Interesting conversation. So to interesting. Say, to say yes. the least. I mean, what his perspective as a player, my perspective, perspective as a uh, gambler, so to speak, um, and understanding the nuances of the numbers and the betting behind it and where legalized, where legalized gambling is going now and, and, how that infiltrates the game and the integrity of the game really just leaves someone like me and my warped mind to really question so many different things about the game. And um, But it did the same for Stevan, though, too. That's what was fascinating. He is an athlete, a former college athlete and professional athlete, and you, someone who had gambled, and, and both of you were going, like, it really leaves you wondering about it, something. It, it does. And you know what, Pat? For years, gambling was always shunned by the major sports leagues, mm-hmm. whether it was football, the NFL, the MLB, hockey, um, basketball, 
they always shunned it because mm-hmm. they didn't want to tarnish their integrity of the shields that they represent for those leagues. Publicly, that was their message they were putting out there. Privately, they were embracing gambling every which way they could. They were lobbying every congressman and senator they possibly could to get uh, sports betting legalized in every state. And you say, why? Why were they hypocrites That was my like question. That? Why was that? That was yeah. exactly what I was going to ask. You read my mind. Why, why were they hypocrites? And they're hypocrites because it's it brings more eyeballs to their to their game. And the more eyeballs that they have on their game, whether it's through the streaming platforms, whether it's through the cable networks, whether it's through any channels that people can watch the game, you have more broadcasting rights and more revenues that are brought into their pockets. How so, does it bring more eyeballs? Like you're saying that some people may not have watched the game, but will lay down a bet on the game are now watching the game. Is e- that e- it? Exactly. You look at, you know, FanDuel and DraftKings and these different individual platforms that are out there. I'm just referencing FanDuel and DraftKings because you could pick out individual players to actually compose a team. So what you're doing, let's say you're picking out some random basketball team on a on a, you're at home on the couch on a Wednesday night and the wife and the kids are gone and you're you're channel surfing and all of a sudden there's a game about to start with the Sacramento Kings. Nobody's really going to tune into that game and watch that game because the Sacramento Kings are a 500 basketball team and they're playing probably some other 500 basketball team, but if that same person's on this couch and he could he could compose a basketball team made up of two or three players that are playing that night, now he's going to watch that game because he has a monetary interest with the outcome of what happens. Yeah. yeah. So that directly affects the owners of the leagues. Yeah. The owners of the teams, the leagues, their contracts, their revenues, and everything else like that. I mean, how many sports stadiums? I think I think there's. I, I, I'm probably going to mess up this number, but I think there's 17 or 19 states right now in North America that have legalized sports gambling. I mean, you wow. go to that's some, that's that's coming close to half the states. Then it's legalized. You're really good with math, aren't you? Yeah, I was just trying to impress you with that. I did. Did I impress you? Yeah, yeah. Okay. good job. So you're saying though that it, for a long time they were they were against it publicly right but behind closed doors they were trying to get it to they, where it's moving today where they were spending monies states. they had they had allocated funds with with every lobbyist out there to try to get these things passed it was all led by you know chris christiata but yeah that was their motivation behind yeah you look at the corporate sponsors that are behind it now you got mgm throwing money at them you got FanDuel. you got DraftKings. you got all these 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 sports book companies that are out there throwing money at these leagues trying to rent space inside the stadium. They're putting sports books inside of the stadiums. So you could make a first quarter bet, you could make a halftime bet, you could make a fourth quarter bet as the games are going. Wow. I mean, it, it, that's just from the public side. And that's just talking about the public side, the ownerships, the leagues, how that, how that, how they're monetizing those dollars and that, that legalized gambling um, for their purposes. Put that aside for a second. Talk about the the cesspool of corruption. Yeah, that's from, what was interesting to hear you guys talk about. From the athletic side. Yeah. From the athletic side, for the guys that are actually playing the game. Yeah. And the temptation to go on the dark side. The temptation to compromise your integrity. So it, unpack it, that. Like help like let's say we have a listener that doesn't uh, really follow yeah, sports. Yeah. What how would they be tempted to compromise? 
Well, okay, I'm, I'm going to give you a couple examples. I want to go back to the player side in a second, but I want to tell you something that happened recently. Tracy, my wife, and I had a, uh, a little get-together at our house for uh, the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And the Super Bowl this past year was played in Arizona. Um, and there were some friends at our house, and there were some younger kids at the house. I'm certainly not going to say any names, but yeah. some younger kids that were in college at the house. And they had the ability. Now, a few of their friends were cheerleaders for a certain school in town. And those cheerleaders were hired to perform with Rihanna at the halftime show. The halftime show for the Super Bowl. Okay. Now, understand the dynamics here, what's happening here. Mm -hmm. Insider information. So what happens is, now you've got sports books out there all around the world, London, Australia, here in the States, that are taking bets on what color dress or outfit is Rihanna going to wear? What's going to be her first mm-hmm. song? Mm-hmm. What's her first song she's going to play? What's her last song she's going to play? And people can make bets on that. And they're, they're taking bets on that. Now, these kids, and I say kids because they're 21, 22 years old yeah, in college. Kids to us since we're in our 50s yeah, now. <laughs> kids to us, right? More so to yeah, me than to yeah. you, right? But these kids, because of their friends that they knew that were practicing and rehearsing with Rihanna for two, three weeks earlier. They were all under NDA and NDAs don't mean anything to these kids, right? They knew the exact performance layout of that, of that halftime show. They knew they did the dress rehearsal runs two days before they knew exactly what outfit Rihanna was going to wear. They knew what song she was going to open up with. They knew what song she was going to close with. And I'm listening to lay bets down with insider information. I'm listening to them tell me, and it wasn't much money. They're betting 50 and 100 bucks, right? But to them, mm-hmm. as a starving college student, it's they were sweating it. They yeah. couldn't wait for that halftime show to come, saying, God, are we going to be right? And I'm yeah. saying, you've got tomorrow's newspaper today. Yeah. How are you going to be yeah. wrong? Now, now I, I didn't, as much as I was thinking that in my mind, they had tomorrow's newspaper today, I'm thinking, the direct correlations with what happened with me and the ASU events or what happened in 93, 94. Absolutely. Like I, at the age of 23, yeah, chose to compromise my integrity. Mm-hmm. I did it because I knew I could really probably predict with some semblance of success the outcome of how ASU was going to play. Why? Because the players, I had Stevan and I had Isaac Burton, they were motivated. Mm-hmm. They were motivated, motivated by money. Mm-hmm. In a sense, you had tomorrow's paper today. It, exactly. Sense. And I look at what these kids did, and they don't realize, for them, maybe in that moment, it was just, hey, I'm going to win a few hundred bucks because I got some information. But they don't realize how they just put a severe dent into their integrity mm-hmm. and into their mindset and into how they perceive things. Mm-hmm. Because now their perception was, hey, I, I, I played in the gray area, and I got away with it. Nobody really got hurt. Nobody was really affected. But hey, I made a few bucks because it was easy. Just because, but I didn't do something that was right. Yeah, that's how it dented their integrity yeah. in my yeah. mind. It's that slippery slope. You start. It is, yeah. and, and it, you know, it's. I've said this a few times, Pat. I know you and I talk about it. 
once you compromise your integrity one degree off of center mm -hmm. and you find it to be okay, it's next to impossible years down the road to get back to center again because mm -hmm. you're never going to write that ship. It's mm -hmm. like a ship traveling across the ocean that gets one degree off course when he's going to miss his target. Yeah. Yeah. So if your target is to be a person of integrity, a man of integrity, a woman of integrity, whatever it may be, they don't even realize what they did yeah. by doing that, by yeah. making that choice. Now, now I, yeah. do I blame them? No, no I, I really don't. Should I have been more of a barometer to maybe say, guys, hey, you know, that's not really cool what you're doing? Eh, it's not my it's not my game. But it's interesting because that's one of the things you're bringing up, isn't it, Joe, that when we legalize gambling, it's opening up all these doors that is is making it because because there's all kinds of ways someone can start getting insider information. And then and then they're starting to to go down a dangerous road. And I, I could literally sit here for days with you to talk about the cesspool of corruption of how money and personal gains at a gambling window could influence the outcome of how a game is played. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. you could take it all the way down to a water boy on a team that maybe has some inside information. He that, overhears something on the side. Yeah, right? or, or he knows that the star player of the team has been coming in to the training room every day for the last four weeks because he's got a, a bum ankle or a bum knee. But yet the team's really not reporting that injury at all mm -hmm. because the players are, you know, he's going to grit it out and he's going to play, but he knows he's probably playing at 50%, but that's insider information. Yeah. Now you take that same inf insider information to a guy that's on a board of a publicly traded company and he knows, hey, my next quarterly report is going to be garbage for this company. I'm going to short the stock. Well, that guy's going to end up in prison. Mm -hmm. They don't have the rules and the regulatory procedures in place or the laws in place to combat the cesspool of corruption that's going to come out of the gambling side. And, and, and that's just on the periphery. That's you, you talk about a trainer or a water boy or someone that might be a friend of a player. That's just on the periphery. Get into the core. Now you get into the core as to the players that are playing the game. Come on. Which is what happened back oh. in 94, right? But yeah. you're saying now that it's legalized it, you're opening the door for that to happen a lot more often. Yeah, yeah. you know, and I've given this example several, several times, and and um, I don't think you and I have talked about it on air at all, but I'll, I'll say, let's say you've got a team where they've got a, a fourth-year senior, a fifth-year senior, a kid that's a mediocre a player on the basketball team, averages 15, 20 points a game, but he's never really going to go to the next level never really excelled in school, but he's going to get his degree because the school made sure mm -hmm. he got his degree. But yet, <clears throat> as a starving student, he realizes, hey, six more months, I'm going to graduate. I'm going to have to go get a job. Oh, the job market sucks right now. I I really don't know what I'm going to do. I'm probably going to maybe get lucky to go find a job making, you know, 50 grand a year if I'm lucky. I'm going to get to have to get in the real world. But yet, every day when he's driving to practice or every day when he's going to a game, he has to drive past a sports book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to tell me at all, and I'm not, you can tell me, but I'm not going to believe it, that every player that plays the game doesn't know what the betting line yeah. is. Yeah, They're on the bottom of a TV screen. They're on the ticker on ESPN. Mm -hmm. They have shows about it they on ESPN. They buddies that are betting, that are telling They all them. know, yeah. hey, you yeah. guys are a 10-point favorite tonight. Yeah. What do you think? You know, they're, they all know what's going yeah. on. 
So now you look at the element of temptation that goes on with that kid when he's, you know, maybe it's Valentine's Day. The kid wants to take his girl out to dinner. It doesn't have two nickels to rub together, but yet he knows his team's a 13, 14 point favorite that night. And he's driving past a sports book every day to go, uh, to go to practice or go to a game. And all he's got to do is, Hey, I've got 500 bucks in my pocket. Why don't I just go in there and I'll make sure we win tonight, but I'll make sure we don't win by more than 13 or 14 points. Yep. I'll just brick a few free throws down the stretch. Yep. So, you know, that element of temptation, that element of corruption is just so, so prevalent. And, you know, Joe, recently when we were having this conversation, uh, you, Stephen, and I, and recently I saw a game. This was probably in the last two months or something like this. And uh, over, under, the the team was right out. It was like one point if they went over. And right at the end of the game, guy gets a steal, wide open, and all if he if he makes the dunk, they go over changes the over under yeah. and the outing the game. And when he's going up for the dunk, the ball slips out of his hand and flies out of bounds. But because of the conversations we've had, I'm sitting there now. I wouldn't have thought of this before, yeah. but now I'm sitting there going, "Did it really slip out of his hand?" You start thinking. Yeah, you, you start, start thinking. thinking. But what you're saying is that we've opened the door for that kind of thing to happen a lot more often. That 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 player. Maybe before wouldn't even have thought of that, but now when he's going down and he's about to make the wide open dunk, and yeah. he knows it changes the over under. That's what you're saying, correct? Well, yeah, it, it, it and it's probably a little bit more difficult on a team sport. You know, when you talk about, I think football's probably next to impossible to fix an outcome on. I basketball's a little bit more easier, um, but individual sports, Pat. I mean, individual sports, it, you know, I know I know my nephew's here and he's a big UFC guy and mm-hmm. and I'm a UFC fan too as mm-hmm. well, but you can't tell me. I mean, of the 100% of UFC fighters that are out there. Yeah, Joe Rogan mad at you about what you're going to say. No, here. no, <laughs> it, it, it's, it, but, but, but I think Joe gets it because yeah. Joe's, Joe's yeah. a business guy as well and Joe yeah. understands it. But of, out of the 100% of fighters that are out there, there's probably... I'm going to guesstimate maybe 10% that are actually thriving. Yeah. The rest of them are like, like struggling. Thriving. The rest yeah. of them can't even play their pay. They're struggling to pay yeah. their training mm-hmm. and their taxes mm-hmm. and their travel. Uh, they're, they're, they're searching for endorsements to kind of help feed their family. And you look at the lifespan of that career, maybe three, maybe five years if you're lucky. Yeah. yeah. So how many fights are you going to have in that three to five year, that three to five year range? But yet you look at, if you know that 90% of these fighters are really struggling, and then you look at the ability where these players, these fighters can either bet for or against themselves because there's an active betting line for them. Mm -hmm. And they're saying, gosh, well, this fight, I'm going to be on the undercard of this main event and I'm going to get paid uh, 50,000 bucks. And I'm going against a guy that's pretty tough and I'm a two to one underdog. I'm just making numbers up. I'm a two to one underdog. But I'm gonna get paid fifty thousand bucks. Yeah. Now you mean to tell me, guys, maybe he's got two or three fights left because they know the lifespan of their yeah. career. Maybe yeah. his shoulders jacked up, his knees jacked up, or something like that. I'm gonna tell you what I would be tempted to do. Now maybe my obviously my mind works differently than other people, but I'm gonna get three, four guys that I grew up with that I have known for years that I trust explicitly. I'm gonna spend. I'm gonna send them to half a dozen casinos that are out there and i'm going to say hey go bet on the other guy and pick up two to one odds Mm -hmm. i mean you think about it pat you risk Mm -hmm. you you risk fifty thousand bucks let's say he risks his whole purse 
Yeah. 50,000 bucks. He's going to make 100,000 bucks back yeah. tax-free yeah. in non-sequential unmarked bills. Yep. And he's going to get caught in a chokehold or yep. an arm bar? Get caught. Yep. Who's going to know? Yep. Who's going to know? Yep. That happens every day of the yeah. week. Yeah. You know, you look at individual sports. I, I, I target UFC. And those guys are just workhorses, and mm-hmm. I've got tons of respect for them. But the element of corruption is so prevalent yeah. because these guys all live on social media. They all fantasize about the Lamborghinis and the Ferraris and these big palatial estates, and they want to get there, but they don't know how to get there because they're just in the middle of a pack inside, inside of their tiers where there are in fighting. You look at tennis, tennis the same way. How yeah. many tennis corruption scandals have been exposed yeah. in the last five, six years? Mm-hmm. I, I could probably think of three of them right now because it's the same thing. We got 10% of the tennis players that are on the tour are actually doing well. The other 90% are struggling. Barely making it. Barely yep. making yep. it. So you know, you know, I, I just think there's so many components to when I say a cesspool of corruption that could come out of it mm-hmm. because you start – compiling personal performance with monetary gain. Nothing good will ever come out of it. <laughs> yep, yeah, history has proven that for sure, yeah. for yeah. sure. Well, it was such an interesting conversation that we had that day and that we're having today because I think it, it's, you know, I, I, and our audience is probably gonna be watching sports now a little differently, as they should. Yeah. I mean, we, we're living in a time and there's not, there's not not always easy answers to everything, but I think you're bringing up, Joe, you're bringing up some really good points here where because we're living in a time where this is now legalized, there's a whole nother complexity that's been added to it. And Pat, let me make sure, man, I, I, I am, this is not an anti-gambling crusade yeah. at all because you yeah, and I, I know. you and I have been buddies for a, a yeah. while here and we travel, we, yeah. we talk all the time. You know when when I gamble, yeah. and you know what it's in my mind, and you know when I'm looking at scores. You know, and and, and I'm a, I enjoy it. Yeah. I enjoy it. I just look at it differently, because I understand the nuances behind it of what mm-hmm. is potentially out there. Yeah. So I will make sure I'm I'm I. Nobody thinks that I'm on a anti gambling crusade yeah. because yeah. that's not the case here yeah. at all. In it, fact, the audience should know that a lot of times when you're thinking about betting a game, you come to me for advice. And now, <laughs> now you do the exact opposite of whatever I might suggest, that's, right? That's exactly right. You learned really right. quickly. That's exactly right. I remember, I'll tell a quick little story about you. And uh, we were in in Nashville. I remember and, this. And uh, the people we were out there with ended up leaving. And it was just you and I for a couple extra days. So we said, hey, let's go to the Nashville Predator game. Yeah. And... You and I are in the hotel room, and I'm saying, okay, Pat, maybe we should bet this game. Maybe, you know, have something that could <laughs> intrigue us for the night, right, and watch it. So I read you every stat yep. possible. And I was Googling it You're, and you, going, You yep. felt so confident. You were actually thinking about making your first oh, bet I, yourself, I right? Knew, I knew. Yeah. I knew we were going to win You knew one. the outcome of that game. Yeah. It's like I had tomorrow's paper today. <laughs> you got two ways to bet a game. You could bet who's going to win and the over-under. Yeah. You were 0 for 2. Yeah. Great yes. job. Yes. Your handicapping prowess is Ever amazing. since then, you, yeah. when you ask me any advice on it and yeah. I give it to you, you're like, I'm going with the opposite. The opposite side. And That's it's usually it. worked for you. It's working yes. well. This is why I don't bet. But, you know, I haven't I haven't made a bet in, in quite some time. Um, yeah. Even, you know, which is surprising. This is, even with the Super Bowl here in Arizona, um, I didn't put one penny on the game, yeah. which is the first year since I can remember watching sports that I didn't have an interest on the game. 
here I am almost 55 years old, right? Yeah. Um, even with the NCAA tournament, I mean, I was asking my, one of my son-in-laws on this, on this trip we just got back from, who's playing? Yeah. I had no idea. You weren't even paying attention to the, yeah. But, because you know what happened? I've sought your guidance a lot on this, is to clear up a lot of the bandwidth in my life, right? Because mm -hmm. um, you only have so many hours in the yeah. day. Yeah. You know, so many hours to be a husband, to be a father, to be a friend, to conduct your business, to, you know, we've got the, uh, the foundation. Yeah. And there's so many hours. And when, when you start adding things like gambling, because mm -hmm. I can't just bet a game at two o'clock in the afternoon and then wake up the next day and say, hey, did I win? No, I've got to live inside the game. I got to understand what happened every quarter. I got to understand the swings of the game, right? And so it just monopolizes my mind. Yeah. So what I did when you and I had this, this quasi come to Jesus talk last August is really said, okay, what's important in my life? What mm. do I want to accomplish? Mm. What, what do I want to do? And you were not only a big influence, but as always a great friend and really guiding a lot of that stuff and saying, okay, just get rid of the noise. Get rid of the noise and focus on what you can do to effectuate change. So like I said, that's- Joe, you're like a master communicator because I wanted to, I wanted to transition into legacy and talk about legacy. And that was a perfect transition into that. Because on a recent trip that you and I were on together, we, we started talking about legacy one night. Yeah. And, and it came up because you were telling me a story about a, an event you went to with your dad years ago. So I want you to explain that in a little bit. But what you're describing has so much to do with legacy. And we're going to unpack legacy in a moment. But we only have a certain number of hours. And everybody has the same number of hours, 24 hours. But what we do with those hours are really building our legacy yeah. or not building that legacy uh, or an unhealthy legacy. But let me just back up and and review that story a little bit because when we were sitting down for dinner you started sharing that one of the most impactful events did your dad invite you to this yeah yeah, yeah. This, it was this a promise keepers right yeah this had to be about 98 97 97 98 now my father was the prototypical italian right mm -hmm. um was a police officer in chicago for, for 17 years um didn't put up with a lot really ran a tight ship but a really a man of integrity, right? Mm -hmm. Really, you're growing up, we grew up Catholic. We grew up, we went to church on Easter and Christmas type of thing. And um, it wasn't, we were talking the talk, but not really walking the walk, so yeah, to speak, yeah. you know, as a family. Yeah. But later on in life, after my parents moved to Las Vegas, my, my, my dad and my mom both really became a lot more involved in their church out there. And I saw a lot of changes with my dad. And, mm. you know, where he'd be reading the Bible quite a bit and wow. talking to me about different yeah, things yeah. Um, inside the Bible. And I, I, I knew of things, knew of stories, but I really wasn't close to being a, theolo a, a theologian. A theologian. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hard <laughs> that, word to even I say. I wasn't even close to that, right? <laughs> so um, my dad and I had to be 27, 28, and maybe 97, 98, right around there. And um, my dad calls me up and said, hey, Joey, I'm going to go to uh, this, this men's this men's event in Tucson called Promise Keepers. Mm. I said, what is it? He said, Coach Bill McCarthy's gonna be speaking there. I said, oh, okay. He really didn't even explain what it was. He yeah. said, it's a men's men's event and it's gonna be held at U of A, but, but Bill McCarthy's gonna speak yeah. there. I said, you yeah. probably surprised when you got there because if our audience doesn't know, those for a number of years, they would pack out entire football stadiums. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. it was an event with my dad that I'll never forget. So my dad, drove in from Vegas, picked me up in, here in Scottsdale, and uh, 
we went to the Tucson together. And uh, it was a an event that really changed a lot of things in my life at that age. And Pat, there had to be 60, 70,000 people in that stadium. Just oh, the entire football field was filled with, with people. Yeah. The All the grandstands were yeah. filled. It was at the, at the U of A football stadium. And um, I remember hearing Bill McCarthy speak. Hmm. And he spoke of two things. He, he spoke about teaching people how to pray and why to pray. Hmm. And for some reason, I mean, this was after the ASU thing. Yeah, I knew I was going to prison for the ASU thing. It was in between when I got indicted versus when I was going to get sentenced. Okay. That was when this Promise okay. Keeper event was. Yeah, And so... I was really kind of at a crossroads in my life saying, mm -hmm. well, well, I can't trade in the markets anymore because they took my license. I'm sitting here thinking about opening up car wash. You know, in fact, I opened up the one car wash in Scottsdale already. And we were building the other one on 19th Avenue in Bethany mm -hmm. Home. And um, I really didn't, I knew I was gonna go away to prison. I didn't know how much time I was gonna yeah. get. I, at that point, we had two young girls at home that were probably three and two and three years old. So it was really a time in my yeah, life that I yeah. was in flux. Yeah, and um, pivotal moment in some ways. Yeah, yeah. It, it was. Yeah. And so hearing hearing Coach McCarthy speak, and I didn't know anything of his story at that time, other than just being an absolute stud, you know, football yeah. coach Colorado. from the University of Colorado. But hearing him speak about how to pray and why to pray, and I remember the preamble verbatim. And I still use it to this day. Every night when I go to bed, I, I say my little prayers. And I remember the preamble that he gave about taking ownership to prayer, hmm. using the word my, my Lord Jesus Christ, my God. Oh, um, that's powerful. Just little things like that were still to this day, almost 30 years later, was like, wow. Yeah. And it stuck with me. And then the second thing he talked about in his speech was what's your legacy? And here mm. I am, 28 years old, 27 years old. I said, what the heck you talk about legacy? You probably right? never even thought about that, had you? Never thought yeah. about it. If you were to die tomorrow, what's your legacy? Mm. How would people remember you? Who would remember you? What would they remember you for? Those are some powerful questions. Yeah, it, it, it's like, here it is all these years later, it's still, it's still stuck with me. And I think, I don't think I know that was the main emphasis along with my wife and kids for putting the book together mm. because I wanted people to understand the struggles of choices. I wanted people to understand why I maybe made some choices I did and that my legacy was not really this ASU event. My mm. legacy was not really what happened in 2013 or 14. I wanted my legacy, and you know this as well because you're the mm -hmm. executive director of the foundation. Mm -hmm. How many times do I use the word, let's make a difference? Uh, yep. Many, many times I've heard uh, those yep. words. Make yep. a difference. I say it to my kids. Love I say it. it to people we work with. I say it to you all the time. Yep. What can we do to effectuate change and make a difference? Mm -hmm. And so that's the focus of what I believe the word legacy yeah. means to me. Yeah. I mean, no matter what I do, and, I, and believe me, I know this, and if I amazingly somehow cured cancer tomorrow, I'm still gonna be the guy that committed the ASU point shaving scandal that all of a sudden cured, mm -hmm. uh, cured mm -hmm. cancer. Mm -hmm. I'm never gonna get rid of that 
that that label. Never going to get rid of the label of a convicted felon. But sadly, people's perception or the, or the masses' perceptions are their realities. Yeah. So does my quote unquote legacy matter to the mass of people? Mm. No. It really doesn't. And that's the important thing to remember, isn't it? That legacy is really important to those closest to us. That's right. And, the and, masses don't care, really. And you know what, Pat? I wrote about it in the book, and, and I really get back to this now, and I put myself in check all the time with it, is to perform for an audience of one. Mm-hmm. Now, whatever your one may be, if you're not of faith, for me, it's faith. Mm-hmm. Like, I know who I have to put myself in check with. Every day when I, I reconcile the day and I say my prayers at nighttime, I say, okay, what did I screw up with for that day? What did I do good for the day? What do I want to do better? What do I want to work, work more on? And so, and why am I making these changes? It's to perform for an audience of one. Yeah. So if you're performing for the, the masses, which is what I struggled for with for years. Mm-hmm. I look at all the events in my life where I compromised my integrity and made a poor choice. And then unfortunate events happened thereafter. It was because I was performing for others. Yeah. Trying yeah. to play the big shot, trying to, trying to, you know, show people that I can do something when I really shouldn't be doing it to begin with. Yeah. That's such a great point, Joe, because as you know, you know, I was a public speaker for a lot of years. And so I would speak to big crowds and you come off the stage and the crowd thinks they know you. And if you're not careful, you buy into the hype like they think they know you. And you'd hear people going like, man, your your wife must be so blessed because they just see the guy on the stage. And sometimes you want to go like, well, go talk to my wife. (laughs) She'll tell you I'm a mess sometimes. But that that's that's the danger. Right. When we start thinking that it's the crowd that really matters. Because the crowd will either think something, like in your case, maybe you'll always be be known by the crowd, some of the crowd, for what happened in 94. But your story is much bigger than that. Or if you're a public figure, you, you buy into the hype of what everybody's saying about you, but it's the ones that are closest to you, your wife and your kids and your close friends. That's where legacy really matters. That's it, what you're saying. It is. And when you say the story is much bigger than that, Pat, it, it, it's like I'm, I'm very cognizant of putting myself in check, which is why we've turned down a whole bunch of things that have been presented to us because I want the story to have a purpose. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, some of the conversations mm-hmm. we've had with, with, with people that want to do the story and glamorize it and Hollywoodize it and, mm-hmm. and bastardize it, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've said no to it because it didn't have a purpose behind yeah. it. So... Yeah, you know, ha- doing things with purpose, performing for an audience of one, using whatever my poor choices may have been for a a purpose where maybe it could touch and mm-hmm. and help or change somebody's youthful mind in terms of the direction or decision they may make. Then it all starts to have a purpose behind yeah. it. Yeah, but you know, the whole legacy thing is something that I really think about a lot. Yeah, and. But who's the legacy important for? You know, you challenged me in the month of March here, which is what, 24 days ago, 25 days ago. Let's read let's read Ecclesiastics. Yeah. We twice. Both, so we've been re- yeah, we've both twice. been reading it. And I just finished it the second time about four or five days ago. And um the word meaningless comes up all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, life is meaningless. Mm-hmm. Life is meaningless. Things are meaningless. The moments mm-hmm. are meaningless. It's life is so short. And you you equate the word meaningless to vapor. Yeah, yeah. It's like that text you sent me yeah. yesterday about 
you know, where you got the the picture of the 10 or 11 year old girl looking in a mirror at her 80 or 90 year old reflection. Yeah. And saying, how the heck did that happen? It goes by so quick. Yep. So what's important in what, your legacy? Which is what Solomon was trying to say 3,000 years ago when he wrote that. He's an older man looking back. He's had everything the world could offer him, wealth, power, influence. And he's looking back and he's going, it's all a, the Hebrew word can be used vapor. It's all a vapor. It's all meaningless. Well, do me a favor here. Let me flip the script on you for a second. What does legacy mean to you? Oh, man. Joe, Joe that's not how this works. I asked the questions. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the things similar to you, it was years ago, and I don't remember exactly when, but I remember thinking, because, again, I, I had a job where I played to the crowd, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I just spoke to crowds. And if you're not careful, you start believing all that hype that you get. But I started going, at my funeral, and I'm going to have one someday, at my funeral, who do I want to really speak about what matters to them in me i didn't really care anymore about the masses what they said like i don't i don't you know if, if everybody filed up there and said he was so great he was so great but my wife stood at my casket and didn't have that many good things to say maybe she wouldn't voice them publicly or my children or my so it started me thinking i in the area of legacy so years ago i actually wrote down um what do i want in one sense what do i want my wife to say if I go before her, what do I want her to say at my funeral? What do I want my kids to say at my funeral? What do I want my closest friends to say at my funeral? And I wrote that down in one sentence. And then legacy is to try to live in such a way that that's what they'll say. So I, I, I like similar to you, I guess I started realizing that I was going to leave a legacy whether I liked it or not. And it wasn't so much to the masses that it mattered. It was to the important people in my life. So we, we have a similar journey with that. Yeah, and, and, and hopefully I'm not breaking the veil of our friendship by saying this at all, because if I am, maybe Riley could just cut it out. <laughs> but what was interesting to me on one of our trips, we had a nine-hour flight together, and um, you were writing letters to your three kids, and you called it your death letter. My end-of-life letter. End of, oh, yeah, yeah. end of life. It yeah. sounds so much yeah. more sexier, yeah, right? It does. It yeah, sounds, okay. Okay. Well, sounds less your, tragic. Yeah, your, uh, I'm going to call it your death letter. Yeah. So uh, when your three kids get to read your death letter, uh, and you you spent days on this, mm -hmm. it's and I remember you told me, well, I got one done, and then a couple of days later, well, I got the second one done. Well, I'm still working on this one, um, and you put so much thought. I don't even know, and I started thinking about that. Well, hey, should I do that to our our four kids? I'm thinking I don't even know where to start. Um, my whole life's out there right now. I don't even I don't even have any secrets for these kids, right? They know everything, everything we do business-wise. We're such mm -hmm. a blessed family. And between my wife at the helm and the kids, mm -hmm. I mean, it's so transparent, everything we're doing. But I wouldn't even know where to start with a end-of-life. I'll give yeah, that. Yeah. An yeah. end-of-life letter. Letter. Well, for me, wrote. it was more, I, I just, again, it goes back to legacy. What we're talking about, I'm saying, okay, I didn't, if before I take my last breath, and I don't know when that'll be. I might get another 20, 25 years, and I might have a, a week, or today yeah. might be it. I don't know. So I may have to change these end-of-life letters a lot. If I live another 15 years, I may have to go rewrite them. But for me, it was just, what do I want to, if... If I could say one last thing to them, what would it be? Some people get that opportunity. Yeah, I watched a guy go um, a couple of years ago. He was the chairman of the board of an organization I was working at at the time. And he went Tuesday night. He thought he had the flu. They said he had cancer. By the next Monday, he was dead. On Friday, he invited me over with his whole family. And on that Friday night, so he only, he only had a few days left. And he knew he only had maybe a week left. 
but I watched him. He he was in a hospital bed in his house, and he had each of his kids come in individually, and each of his grandkids come in individually. And I don't know for sure what what he said to them, but most of us won't get that opportunity. Um, he had a great opportunity to know, like these are going to be some of my last words to them. So I, that's what mine was was just si- simply say, I want to write something to them. And um, like I said, if it's if I live another fifteen years, I have to change that. What I love about our conversation, though, Joe, is that I think everybody, all of our listeners need to understand that they're going to leave a legacy. And it's what you learned at Promise Keepers all those years ago. They're going to pass away someday. It's what Solomon says. Solomon actually says, it's a fool who doesn't think about his death. It's a fool who doesn't think that I'm going to pass away someday. Um, So recognizing that's true and that you're going to leave a legacy. And then what kind of legacy you want that? I think it's so important to think about, isn't it? And who's gonna who's gonna get that legacy? I mean, it, what's your focus as to who it's gonna be out to? Mm-hmm. Is it audience so of one? Yep. Is it your core, yep. your core family, or is it are you are yep. you playing for others? Yeah, and that's what's been so interesting. You, you and I, the last few months together, have been trying to get really focused because we are going. Part of legacy is to get focused. You can't do everything. Mm-hmm. So, what are the things that you're going to do that you think are really really important? And I think that's something the audience really needs to understand. If they want to live a legacy for the people that are most important, the audience of one, then they can't do everything. They have to figure out what are the most important things in my life. Boy, and you, you know, just kind of, you know, when you said that, I just kept thinking about all the pain and suffering that we've seen just through the foundation, mm-hmm. um, all the groups that are approaching us, or, or mainly you, because mm-hmm. you're at the helm of that, um, that are living in such hurt mm-hmm. that, is tolerated in this world, but yet your mind and my mind and my wife and our kids, we want to figure out a way to solve that hurt because it shouldn't happen. Yeah. So, and I think that's the more I get, you know, I, I, I say I'm on the 15th hole of life right now. Maybe I've got to make it three holes left, right? I'm 55, but I feel like I'm 90 sometimes. <laughs> but the more I get punched in the gut and go through this journey in life and, I, I just really, especially the last six or eight months, Pat, it's, I, it's almost like I've had a moments of clarity as mm-hmm. to what I want to accomplish mm-hmm. and, and the foundation and to effectuate change in a lot of people's life. When you just got back from Brazil, some of the stuff we're doing in Brazil right now, and you start seeing yeah. some of these people in these Massive communities, how they have. are just yeah. living in absolute squalor. Yeah. No fresh water, no yep. plumbing, no electric, no screens on their on their huts, yep. where they've got every bug in the world, you yep. know, climbing into their their place where they're living. Yep. How does that happen? Mm-hmm. How does mm-hmm. that happen? You know, a big thing with my wife Tracy, she she wants fresh water. I mean, mm-hmm. in this day and age, how yep. does people not have access to fresh, clean yep. water to yep. drink? And that changes entire lives, yeah. communities, and generations. Just having clean water. Yeah. So basically, that little tangent I just went on is really ties into the constant thought I have about legacy. Yeah. Like if I died, let's say next week, but the foundation can live on through Mm -hmm. you and through Tracy and through our kids and we can do and effectuate these changes and whether I get a pat on the back for it or whether I get any accolade for it, that's not the purpose. Mm -hmm. But I'll know I'll be comforted in my audience of one Mm-hmm. as to who approved my legacy. Yeah, yeah. Like my legacy was I left this world, even though I made some poor choices, made some yeah. choices where 
my integrity was not even in my mind. It'll be my legacy was approved by my audience of one. Yeah. And yeah. that's really what the focus yeah. is. Well, let me wrap this up by saying, you don't, I don't know if you realize it, but you're quoting a guy that wrote most of the New Testament when you're talking about that. Because Paul talks about it at some point, and he wrote you know, most of what we call the New Testament in our Bibles. And he said, when, when, when I go, I, I want to hear well done from the audience of one. That's what he wanted to hear. Yeah. He goes, I want, I want my God to look at me and say, well done. And I, and I love, and this is part of your story, what we, what we have to remember with people that we we have a book, not chapters, and sometimes we judge people by the chapters. And so you've had some chapters that weren't necessarily good. I've had chapters that weren't necessarily good. Any human that's lived very long on this earth has had some bad chapters. Yeah. That's not the totality of the story. And thank God, literally thank God, that he's gonna look and, and judge us th through his grace, but also through our whole story, not just one or two chapters. Isn't that good news? Let's hope so. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let me let me finish with this. Tim Tebow said this, and this is, I think, really helps talking about legacy. He said, there's a big difference between inheritance and legacy. Inheritance is what you leave. Legacy is what you leave it in. And oh, I wow. think that's what you're saying is we're, we're all going to leave, you know, an inheritance of some, you know, whatever that is. But, but what we leave it in, the people, the people that we value the most, that's legacy. So good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. Love working with you, Joe. Same here, for being on. Thank you. Have you ever thought about the legacy you're leaving behind? It's a great question. What are you leaving behind and who is it for? I had a great interview with Joe Gagliano today. If you have any comments, we would love if you would leave them below, or you can email me at info at no info at no Remember to like, follow, and subscribe at No Gray Areas. Mm -hmm.